I like to have it at the start of the session. You know, if I had a, I remember being at Port Adelaide back in 09, 10, and that was a, you know, the Ruckmans, the the Ruckmans wanted to get jump higher. The the, the key, some of the key key backmen, what they wanted to jump higher, and that was that for me. That was that was at the start of the the strength sessions, and we go out into the court and we do some other jumping drills. Just you know, whether it was vertical jump drills, you know, single leg takeoffs, double leg takeoffs, all that sort of stuff. Hello and welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Make sure if you haven't already to subscribe to my YouTube channel to receive a notification and never miss a live interview. I hope you enjoyed this interview and please share with a friend or a teammate that you think will value this episode. Let's go. Hello and welcome back to the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. My name is Jack McLean. I'm your host and today my guest is Andrew Lowell. He is the consultant, strength and conditioning coach and a track and field coach and our key topic for today's chat will be all about maximizing athlete development and a deep dive into specifically sprinting, jumping, and lifting. So whether you're an athlete yourself, parent of a developing athlete, or of course, high-performance staff, make sure to get the notepad out. And if you're listening in live, whether you're on YouTube, LinkedIn, or Facebook, feel free to send in some questions our way and no doubt we'll find some time later in the show. But welcome, Andrew. Looking forward to our chat, mate. Thanks for jumping on. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jack. Appreciate it. This is a first for me. I haven't done a podcast before. I've done a few conferences and presentations around the place, but I haven't done a podcast. So, yeah, everything's new. Good. Yeah, didn't know that. Very grateful to have you be a first debut podcast, mate. But yeah. for those that aren't aware of your background, do you mind providing a background, I guess, how you got into the industry, your passion for it, and the work experience you've done along the way? Yeah, look, I got into strength and conditioning because my football coach back in the day said, you're too small. Yeah, that was a rugby coach, and he, he said... And he actually paid for me to go and see a strength and conditioning coach, a guy named by the name of Ian King, who used to be the executive director for this Australian Strength and Conditioning Association. He's actually Susan Carroll's son-in-law. But uh, he he sort of stepped away from the the ASCA over the time. But I was he was the at the time he was the Brisbane Lions, Queensland Reds strength and conditioning coach here in in Queensland. And uh, so I went and saw him and started getting some pain for these programs which just got me into lifting, I suppose. And yeah, trying to get bigger for rugby. And it was costing a bit of money and I'd go in there and I was, I, I got in, got right into it and got into lifting and then, and, and, you know, going down to the, the field, towing, um, towing, you know, tyres behind, behind me, uh, sleds and when borrowed some hurdles from my old school and hurdle hops, hurdle jumps, etc. And then it went, it sort of went from that that, I was studying a maths degree at university and didn't, yeah, I mean, I, I, I fell into a maths degree because I was good at maths at school and really didn't know what I wanted to do. And I did that. And then all of a sudden I was sitting there in Ian's office and waiting for him while he was, I think he was training some Reds players at the time. And I ended up stumbling across these ACA magazines that I still remember the day Greg Wilson had a bench press article in that and Dan Baker had an article and I was just probably enthralled with periodization strategies and Greg Wilson had one about bench pressing and, you know, pausing for reps and, you know, stretch shortening cycle and all that sort of stuff. So I just started reading and just started reading all about it. And and I wanted to, you know, I started going, okay, well, what am I doing with this master's degree? And 
I end up taking a, a couple of electives at QUT and Cube Movements, and then end up transferring over to do Cube Movement Studies at the University of Queensland, where I end up meeting Dan Baker, the great Dan Baker at the UQ Powerlifting Weightlifting Club. And probably from that, never really looked back. And when it comes to uh, strength conditioning, was you know like all of us back in the day, we worked a lot of hours trying to. You know, there weren't many jobs back then, 20, 30 years ago, like 25 years ago. There was in Brisbane, there was probably you know four or five in the whole of Brisbane. Like there was one at the Broncos. Dan had that. There was one at the Reds. I think Lachlan Penfold or Damian Medinus had that. What and then and Lachlan was at sorry at the Lions with Scott Murphy and so there weren't many jobs and you just sort of really had to grind away working with a Queensland Cup Rugby League team and Dan got me the opportunity to work at the North Rugby League for a couple of years, which is great. I met you know met some great players. I I worked with Dan for a year sorry before that at the Broncos so that was great. They won the premiership that year in '98 and then. Went on, did two years at the Norse Devils, Norse Rugby League, which it's funny because I've found there's quite a few people that have ended up working at, at Norse Devils over the years. I think Michael Sprans has worked there, David Ballard is at the Bronco. Both of those boys worked there at different times. Grant Cole just just finished working there last year. So there's you know, been quite a few different people that have ended up going through that top, that place at the Devils. And then I tried to find my feet again and did the same thing at, at East Rugby League. Got a shot working with a coach there, Mick Booth, and, which is great. We didn't quite win the grand final, lost it, and then we had to play a replay the week after. And or No, we drew and had to play a replay the week after and didn't quite get the chocolates that day. But you know, and there's, been, there's been other kids, other people like Jacob Staines that's worked there as well. And East Tigers on the weekend, last weekend, won, it, won the um, trophy up here. Well, I think it's, it's called the Intrust Cup now, but you know, won it for the first time. So it's all, you know long days and and back back then and then i end up running into a guy named kelvin giles had a job interview with him here at the here i'm actually doing the interview at the qis queensland academy sport today in a meeting room but I ran into him and had a had an interview and didn't get the job back in the day i didn't you know those sort of meetings really if you can make a good impression can really help out and the next time kelvin had a job come up he was i was one of the first people he called and I ended up getting a bit of a breakthrough working at the QIS under Kelvin, which was, you know, so fortunate too, to work with someone like him as well. And then the people that, you know, had worked there before and then the people around me, you know, I had people like Anthony Georgie and Michael Davies over at the Milwaukee Bucks and Kieran Young. So, yeah, it, it was such a Scott Dickinson down at, I think you've got him on tomorrow. Scotty Dickinson was working here. Suki Hobson was working here. So there was, you know, a lot of great, Great SNCs coming through the ranks at the time. It was a you know sort of a good good time to be in getting into strength conditioning because it was like it was just growing you know multiplying as as we spoke you know salaries were going up and you know employment was going up as well in the industry. Yeah, some some great I guess influencers or mentors if you like along the way. Who who would I guess be your strongest influencers from a philosophy point of view? Do you feel? Oh uh, look, I, I suppose. I probably got three, yeah, three in the strength edition. I'd probably go Dan Baker, Calvin Giles, and Anthony Georgie. Probably influenced me the most in a strength edition it was. And then in the track and field, I've got Gary Bourne, probably the, my biggest influence at the moment. That's here, you know, Bald and all the naughty can string curls, and you know, Matt, that's Matt Bourne's dad. Ah, right, yeah. And anyway, yeah, I think 
Dan, because I, I, I went to the powerlifting club and worked with Dan, trained under him for quite a few years and did a year of working with him at the Broncos and then obviously working with Kelvin here at the QIS as well with all his LTAD stuff that he was he, he was developing at the time and his movement dynamics. And then I probably still remember the day, the boss, and I remember the day he said, oh, can I have a look at your program? And I gave it to him and he ripped it shreds sort of thing and said, wake up. You know, look at, have you thought about this, 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 and this? So yeah, back in the day, you sort of cop it on the chin and, you know, start to realise, oh, yeah, I hadn't thought of that, hadn't thought of this. So that was, those sort of memories stay with you as well, you know, those learning points of your career. 100%. And what about highlights, mate? Like moments of your career that you were out on? Oh, there's so many. Strength and issue wise, I worked with the AIS diving squad back in 04 and i think that's the best uh the australian diving team's ever done in the olympic games shant i think they I can't remember how many medals now it's chantel newbury won a gold she won as they she got they got a she got a silver in the bronze as i uh, know bronze in the in the in the synchro springboard matt helm matt helm got a silver and robert newbury and steve barnett barnett got a bronze as well I think it was four medals, so I think that was second-ranked nation in the world. Obviously, the four years later, I wasn't directly working with Matt Mitchum, but I'd, I'd done a lot of work with him prior, and he obviously went on to win gold in 2008, and I think they got two medals then. And then I didn't work with AOS Diving after 2008 when I went to Port Adelaide. So actually, the other person probably had a bit of a good influence on me was back in the day was Cameron Falloon at Port Adelaide. He's, the, he's now a partner... Partner, or you know, founder, a partner of a BFT in Melbourne. So he went on to bigger and better things in his career. But yeah, he was a, also a big fan. I, I think a big influence on me in the professional sport area as well. Yeah, there's yeah, it's, it, for those that are interested, uh, there is a fair few in, in those that you work closely with that we have had on the podcast, big names in the industry. So for those that want to find out more information about those guys, Cameron Falloon's been on, Scott Dickinson, like you said, Dan Baker. Kelvin Giles, so yeah, big big people that have yeah, really helped progress and move the, the industry forward, and and yeah, it goes to show how close knit the industry is. Is I reckon Kelvin Giles and Dan Baker will be up there with the most popular people mentioned in terms of great people like yourself that have worked with them. Oh, what about most challenging moments of your career? You know, challenge yeah, challenge that you've sort of faced and that you learnt from. I guess I, I suppose the challenging times come from when you. You, you, one, you either you haven't explained yourself, I suppose, in the in the way you would have liked to, or you you or someone can't understand what you've tried to portray, or or you and you're you're not getting your message across. So I think that's that can be the hard part, and and being able to understand where they're coming from. So I think they're the they're the ones that they can come that they can get you can. Not hurt you a bit, but they, you just you you really got to think about how you're getting that message across to that person, and and try to find a solution and find what 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 they really want to hear sometimes. And what if not? They say you don't want to give them just what they want to hear, but you've got to um, find what 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 will make them listen. So that they're the, they're some of those hard ones, and yeah, you know, sometimes you get some footballing coaches or you know professional coaches or you know, any coach and they've got a, a different way of thinking of things and they've set in their ways so you've got to really be adaptable i suppose to the way you can get your message across they're, they're, they're the challenges i think 
That's a great point. That's, you know, we can have all the information in the world, but if we don't know how to engage the athlete in front of us and be able to speak their language and ultimately it's, you know, what they've grasped from it to be able to influence their behavior, then there's really no, you're not going to make a great impact, are you, as a coach? No, yeah. And I, I think, yeah, like it's, and it's a lot harder for the, not harder, but, you know, you really got to start to, as the older you get as a, as a strength and coach, the more you've got to become adaptable to you know, even things like this, like podcasts and, you know, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all that stuff, because this is what the the athletes look at. So you've got to be, you've got to be um, willing to communicate and engage and those sorts of things. Yeah. Back in the day when we, when we had the QIS, there was like a rule of no phones in the gym, you know, and that's just the way it is. But then you know, even last week, I was talking to Glenn Workman down at Surfing Australia. Like 96% of, of engagement of the, the surfers around Australia that are engaged in the Surfing Australia program, and he was saying that that's because phones are allowed in the gym and they they promote the the Instagram videos of their, their athletes in the gym. And that they've had to do that to get engagement from the, the surfers around Australia. So if they see surfers doing the exercises then a surfers want to do it you know the up-and-coming surfers so it's in, it, in, it you know starts to snowball that way so i suppose that those sort of things you know the old school way of doing things is st- you have to sort of adapt and change to to that as you as you go on in your career yeah 100 all set uh, i mean I, I mean i don't know how does it work at a melbourne footy club are you do you have phones in the gym at a footy club no no no, uh, no phones unless we're in a off-site uh, gym because we use Tan Builder, which is an app, and um, yeah. sometimes the iPads that we give the athletes don't connect yeah. to Wi-Fi, whatever reason. Then phones might yeah. sneak their way. Um, yeah, yeah. If there's a big sporting world event on, like the Super Bowl, we, we might allow a little bit of uh, leeway there, just to yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to ta- yeah. I guess give a bit back, like you said, be adaptable. But ninety five percent of the time, you don't want them distracted on their phones. Yeah, uh, at our we're lucky enough, to, I guess, to have media team. So from an engagement with the fans, the media team come in it from time to time and film the guys. So well, horses for courses and they sort of different situations, isn't it? I that. Yeah. Depending on your environment, I guess, your culture. Moving over to to the key topic that you chose, mate, do you mind providing sort of a, a brief overview on you know, why you sort of selected sprinting, jumping and lifting as something that you value, I guess? Uh, yeah, look, I, I suppose, you know, I worked worked as a you know probably came from a, a strength strength background coming working with Dan Baker back in the days and I you know ran eight hundreds at school so I, you know knew a bit about conditioning and you know you, you go through that phase and you then you start to go geez do I really know what I'm talking about when I'm sprinting you know and I tried to I, I really found that 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 was I felt that you know you could read about it and I could, you know, read articles and read textbooks and this is what you're meant to do. But uh, for me, it was probably more about getting out there and coaching it and coaching sprinting all the time. And I probably I tapped on the Matt Bornstad, Gary, who, who's a, a long jump coach, probably one of the most successful in, in the world. Um, it, I, he was right at my doorstep, you know, like literally he was teaching at a school, which is like probably not three kilometers away from where i am right now and he taught there you know for 20 30 years and then and was coming up to the track here to coach and i didn't realize you know just how 
smart and valuable and what a brain he had about sprinting and jumping. So I got, and you know, I'd even worked here at the QAS for five years before I went to Port Adelaide and then, then came back and then realised, you know, how smart he was and what, what, what he, what, what valuable resource he had there when it came to sprinting. And, you know, I ended up basically just standing side by side with him for, for many years, just learning and listening and videoing and, and seeing what he's looking for and hearing what he's looking for, you know, and yet I think I found that that for me that was something that just just really made a difference in me and has really influenced the way I coach now. And you know, sprinting off, you know, we we all know how to squat. We all know, okay, we're going to push our knees out, we're going to push our hips back, keep our chest up, etc., all those sorts of things. But I think when it comes to sprinting, I've really found that you, you've got to really take the the athletes, take the coaches back, and really start to really start from start from scratch with the fundamentals there so you know I, and that's what I, i've really enjoyed I, I ran a course here up here in brisbane at the start of the year with a with a few strength and conditioning coaches and 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 just t- teaching them you know the, the 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 why behind why you do this why you do this drill why you do that drill so yeah that, and that they, they really enjoyed it and I'll, I'll run another one again soon but and if we can find the time, that's always the hardest part. But uh, yeah, that, those sorts of things really tap into me. And then the jumping side of stuff, you know, just flowed on from that, the technical side of things. And then lifting is just, yeah, it's all part of it. You know, as an elite sprinter, elite jump, long jumper, yes, you spend, you know, you still spend a 30 a week doing lifting. You know, if you have six training sessions, you know, two of them are going to be, you know, heavy lifting. Two of them are, you know, fast sprinting and two of them are jumping. So you're going to be, you know, it's all part of that that connection there. You mentioned the impact sort of that Gary had uh, early on in your coach days. What was sort of, sort of some key takeaways that you, you've now transferred into your coaching that you're now teaching S&Cs? Um, I think the initial part for us, for me, was, you know, working out all the key positions that you can find, you know, are all around the world. Like I think, you know, there's an article from back in 1988 from, by Ralph Mann that shows you some of the key positions and where your knee needs to be on touchdown and swing knee and stance knee and all those sorts of different positions. And you'll see, you know, the kinograms that Altus and all that sort of do. That and that's really good. But then it's about, well, how do you how do you get the kids or how do you get the athletes into those positions? So that that's the and that's the hard part. So it's all right to know. So and that and that's that's the that's for me. That's what coaching what coaching is about is being able to make those changes. And yeah, you get the kids that can come along and do one se- session with you, and you go, beautiful, they're done. I don't need to see you again. You know what to do, and they just can pick it up straight away. And then you got the kid that can take two years to for them to realise what they're doing. So that and that that's the for me. That's what I I thrive on is trying to get them to in make change but embed it in their in their you know their system their neuromuscular neuro, neural system that they don't have to think about it uh, to me it's sprinting's about you want someone to sprint but you want them to be able to do it without having to think the last thing i think you want is a what is it you know katoni stags on the wing to the broncos this week you know having catching the ball and then intercepting the ball and then having to think about how to run you just want him to run and not think so they're the sort of things I like to embed in my athletes, and that and that's the sort of thing we, we try to try to do. Like 
you get someone at Olympic Games, they're out on the biggest stadium of their life, biggest arena, people everywhere, their crowd's going nuts. You, they can't be thinking about those little tiny things because they, they just need to be able to run and jump. So they're there to sort of what I'm, I'm trying to um, instill in my athletes. And is that <clears throat> that coaching philosophy, let's say you're working with an athlete in the off-season, you're highly detailed and you are really specific and then as they get close to competing, you're now more just letting them go and maybe yeah. perhaps more constraint-based coaching um, that we hear. Yeah, look, it's a re- up here in Queensland, yet we... We, and and probably all around Australia, when you ha- work with in athletics, it's it's a such a cra- crappy uh, season because you go from a, a school season, which is usually June, July to you know October, and then you go basically start into a club season, which starts from October through to April. So they never really get an off season. So you're always having to make this decision with your kids of when do you stop? Do when do you just let them run? Even if they're going to run like shit, they're going to be poor technically. But at the same time, if they show up to the race on the weekend and get punished by by their competitors, they may not come, may not come back. You know, like and if they get they keep getting beaten up, they they're not going to come back. So it's a, it's a real fine line as a coach is when do you when do you stop? When do you get you know let let that go for a bit? And, and you, I'm never sure if I'm getting it, getting that part right. But, you know, in training, you know, I'll be trying to do a lot of that, a lot of the stuff in Renshaw's, the constraint-based stuff, and throwing that stuff in all the time and without me having to say it and just let them do it and then not thinking about it. That's probably the great part of the constraint-based learning. But then at the same time, you've got to, if they're not picking it up, if they go from that constraint-based drill and then they go away and they just go back to their self, then you've got to talk them through it at a time. So yeah, there's a lot of that stuff that I think you always, as a coach, you're always trying to work out what's going to be best, what's worse for that that athlete at the time. I suppose that's where you've got the science side of it, but you've got the you know the the art side of it as well. Where, where's What's best for the athlete at that, at that point in time of their life and What's going to keep them coming back? What's going to motivate them? What's going to demotivate them, etc. Yeah, no, makes sense. That um, on the topic of sprinting, a rule, a run from an uh, elite just sent in a question: Does speed in sprinting is it based on genetics? Do you think, or uh, can a coach help an athlete run faster? A coach can definitely help an athlete run faster. How fast? You know, how high? How, how high is that ceiling? I'm not sure, but you can definitely make a an athlete run faster by some good technical changes. Yeah, it just you know, like you can get a kid to run fast, and they'll run fast just by training and running and training poorly technically. But how fast they'll they'll get? That they might there'll be a more of a limitation. They'll probably end up with more ha- more injuries, more hamstring injuries if they're running technically poor. So therefore, they probably won't get you know they'll be end up half time injured. So running technically better they're going to be able to run for get consistency in their training for longer and they're going to th- their body will adapt to the the neuro neuromuscular adaptations as well from that so yeah you can definitely run run faster how fast is going to be limited by their genetics i suppose if i'm never like a trey williams who was you know just over five foot he squeezed every little bit of his genetic um capacity out of himself by running 10.08 i think he did 
for the 100 metres a few years ago. But most exceptions, the not many five, you know, just over five foot athletes around the world that can, can run that fast. But at the same time, he had, it's not a world record, but I think it's, you know, known in the sprinting world that he had, he's got one of the highest stride frequencies ever recorded. I think, I think it was like something like 5.3 strides per second sort of thing. Actually, that was, you probably had him on your podcast too, was Angus Ross. From New Zealand, did you add in? No, I think he's been on a couple of different podcasts around the world. Probably get him on. He's from New Zealand. He was a big influence back in the day. He used to train out of the UQ Powerlifting Weightlifting Club with Dan Baker and myself. Not very good. Yeah, we'll um, have to reach out. Um, with working with uh, team-based athletes, and and they've come to you to want to improve their acceleration uh, compared to a track and field hundred meter sprinter. Uh, you're looking for different shapes because they're sort of more upright naturally when they've got it. They've got a ball in play, or do you think the biomechanics sort of transfer over to? Uh, obviously, it's a controversial topic, but what's your thoughts on? Uh, look, I think that there's a lot of different things about there. I suppose you've got to look at. Yeah, you, you know, a team sport athlete can they're going to be come, they're going to be attack accelerating from just different positions all the time, upright, the ground, all, all sorts. So. I suppose for me, you're going to be looking at acceleration from you know all those different positions, you know, from laying on the ground, beach starts, um, up and turn, you know, kneeling, those sorts of things. You know, accelerating from a, a jog, accelerating from a, a backward jog, those sorts of things. So everything's going to change a lot, and then, but projection's still going to be the thing. You've got to still be able to project yourself. You know, as far forward as fast as you can. So getting those angles right are, are going to be important. The hardest part, I think, for the team sport athletes is is they they need to accelerate, but then they need to make a decision. So that there, that's the hard part. If it's all right to accelerate for to you know, if they've got a they're in play in rugby league and they've got you know they've got to push off hard for ten meters, that's great. But if it's up close and then you have to push hard to accelerate. They also had the decision making becomes so much you know quicker, so they don't have the time. So I think those positions can change a lot. So yeah, those sorts of things you know can make influence a lot. I, I think the whole the general principles of acceleration training, like heavy sleds and all that sort of stuff, is you know, still very applicable to the the team sport athletes as much as it is to a, a track and field athlete, though. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Do you think as S and C's yeah, if, you, if you're getting all those different starting positions, in a sense, with the sport, maybe with small-sided games and football mm-hmm. training, do you focus more on the projection, more controlled sort of stuff, improving their rate of force development? Yeah, I think I think you, you, you can definitely make that argument, I think, as well. Like, that's the, that's the real hard part. Like, you know, if they're getting all that stuff in that in their, their game-based training, then do you need to? I suppose, for me, the... Yeah, I think... Um, yeah, look, it's it's really important how much gets done in the game base, but I think there is a lot to still do with the projection side of things, with the uh, you know and how you teach that, how you lift the knees, how you do all those sorts of things. So I think that's that's really important. So uh, and then how you attack the ground, but there's always that there's going to be some something's going to make a decision. Some, you're going to have to make a decision at some point, and you realise that every situ- you know in a game base. In game-based sport, it's it's chaotic, so you've got to train for the chaos, I suppose. So even though you might have a model that you think will work, at different times it might not, and so you've got to come up with different solutions for that. So yeah, like I think it's yeah, it's a real tough one. 
I'm not sure if there's a real correct answer for it. Yeah, yeah. I guess it depends on where you're at, aren't you, with your, with your yeah. athlete and your area of focus. With, you mentioned attacking the ground, raising the knees. What, what, what are some sort of common mistakes that you see from field team-based athletes you know, that you think can transfer to, to those listing? Uh, some common mistakes and some, uh, I guess, some uh, tips to, to focus on when you're doing, improving your acceleration, your sprinting technique. Yeah, look, I, I think, you know, I, I always remember back in the day, it was, you know, one of the key fundamental things they used to say was, you know, short steps on your, your sprinting, you know, quick steps, quick steps. And, you know, whereas now it's probably more, you know, explode on your first step and drive, drive with that that first knee and get it up, get it up to, you know, 90 degrees of your, your torso and staying in nice angles. So that those, those things I find uh, key, if you can get that work on that, it is going to be really crucial to to your outcomes when it comes to acceleration. And does that, from a from a vertical point of view, when sprinting, what are, what are some key areas that you like to that you commonly see us as common mistakes and oh, decorate? I think I think you know maximum velocity, you know vertical, you know uh, vertical sprinting, or yeah, you know, in a vertical position, yeah, you you're gonna see trail leg, you know, you know swing leg behind the knee on touchdown. That's probably the the, the key and the easiest thing to to see. If you could see that. They're the things you got to try to fix up because if you can fix that up, you know it's a bit of a chicken, chicken and egg um, scenario. Which was first? So there's two sides of the way I like to attack that. That is, you know, they've got a way to pick up. So pick the foot up and pick it up quickly and aggressively off the ground, and don't don't delay it. And then to rapidly rapidly accelerate the knee up high to a not at least you know to a 90 degree 90 degree position or you know a horizontal position and that gives them the room to you know hit the ground then so just moving you know from the old traditional sort of backside mechanics into a bit more more of a front side mechanics moving that ellipse forward and giving yeah giving that the athlete then the ability a lot the the room to to strike the ground so i think you know there's plenty of different analogies i've heard over the years i've heard hammers you know you know if you've got a hammer you want to hit it from above i always like if you've got a basketball and you want to you've got a basketball and you want to bounce it as high as you can you don't start you know 10 centimeters from the ground you start as high as you possibly can to 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 get the ball to bounce as high as you can so i think of that as a real easy one analogy so you you want that that you want a reaction out of the ground, and that, and from that, you needed to be at as high as you possibly can. So, if your knees is up at ninety degrees, you, you're higher than you know at you know 20, 30 degrees below horizontal. So, they're the sort of things I'm, I'm thinking about when it comes to you know max velocity sprinting. And you mentioned using the camera. I think said Gary Ball was was using the camera a fair bit for feedback and something you like to use. How often would you be? giving in, in a given session like how many reps would you like is there a percentage or is it just depend on where the athletes are with their development the camera comes in earlier in their development so they can see what what to do like i've i've recently had a um oh, gary used to have it but you know a tv on a on a on a stand and bring it out to the track and what i've really noticed is what's good is i, I would have a my ipad hooked up to it or or use sideline scout and they get to, I can show the athlete what they're doing. But what's great is when you get four athletes come over and they end up watching the one the one person and what they're doing. And they get to hear what I'm saying about that one athlete. 
And then the, all of a sudden, the other three athletes are starting to listen to what I've said to them. And then those sort of images are getting put into their head. And so they start to pick it up unconsciously. I'm not even talking to that person, but they start to pick up other cues and things like that that maybe they need to think about. So that's been really helpful. I also find, yeah, obviously, the, the younger the athlete, the, 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 they don't know what they're doing. So they don't know the positions they're in and and what to do. So one, it's great if you've got um, a, a good a good role model in your group, and sometimes you don't. So that and that's that can be hard. But then to being able to show them different videos of other athletes that can do it, and you know, if I've got a young group, I'll show them a, a video of a, of someone that can do it from my older, more senior group, and show them that, and then that they can start to see it. So that they, I like to use that early. And what, I, what I'm big on with my video is really not trying to show them what they've done wrong. If I if I get a video and I'm like, I've videoed them, all right, let's have a look at it. Part of their stride cycle, they might have one knee picks up nicely, you know, foot's in dorsiflexion, everything's grey. And then I know that the next stride, they do the opposite on the other leg. I'll show them the good part on the, on the right leg. What they did on their left leg, I won't show them. So they know that they're not going to see the bad stuff because I just have this overriding feeling if they keep seeing the bad stuff all the time in their head, they're going to keep thinking about the bad stuff. I'd say to you, Jack, I don't want you to think about lemons. What did you think about? Oranges. Oranges? (laughs) (laughs) You're going to think about it. So I don't don't want them to walk away from me having a conversation with them at a training session, show them a video and show them bad stuff because then they go walking away and they're just thinking about the bad stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I want them to be walking away over to their over to their seat in between the reps, grab their drink and think about the good stuff they can do and think about, I can do this, I, I can do that better, or they've seen someone else do it. it, it in athletics, it's a, it's a real funny thing because you, you, see, you see whole groups of um, squads at different all around the track and you'll see each squad all runs very similar to to themselves. So if I've got Joe Bloggs over in that corner, that squad all basically runs very similar to each other. I mean, Dylan up the other end, that, that squad all runs similar. They're getting the same cues from the same coach, telling them to do the same thing, and then they're watching people from their same group who they probably see as role models, and they follow them, they look at them, and then they do what they do. And that, so you get this, you know, it, it just imparts on upon them, you know, subconsciously. So it, it takes a big thing to, you know, if you can get, you know, the technical model you want you, and you can start to instill it within a group and it can come along qu- quickly. And it, and I think it, I, at first, I think it was, I thought it was hard, but it, it, it comes along a lot quicker as the, as the years go on. Well, maybe it's just me, you get a bit more, you just get more experienced about know what to what to do and what not to do. Makes a lot of sense. I guess any coach listening to that, like really paint a clear picture of what success looks like for the athlete, not only so they, they've got that front of mind, but also I guess you're, you're really boosting their confidence and, and building a, a positive reinforcement with the camera where if you're constantly giving them negative feedback, they're probably not going to be too happy when the camera comes out the next time and, and yeah. stiffen up. And it's what the old, you know, I always remember one of the first things I learned from Dan Baker when I did my, I think it was my level one or level two about feedback and it was about, it was see or coach, command, recommend, command, you know, and, you know, 
when you get when you give when someone's in the gym, they do a squat, you know, commend them on what they did well and recommend what they need to do and then commend what they did what they did what they can still do or what they've done. And I I was in a a coaching course and someone said to me, Oh, that's the old shit sandwich. And I sort of had to disagree with this this person because they said that and I understand what they were trying to say is, you know, people you commend what you do. And then you tell them what the shit part of the session of, of the thing was, and then you tell them what to do. And and I'm like, well, that's not actually what I try to do. I don't try and give them a shit sandwich. I don't want to tell them what they did wrong. I want to tell them what they need to do. Big thing for me in the coaching, I, I think I my, my wife's a, a teacher, and she she's a head of pedagogy, and she 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 follows this guy by the name of John Hattie. And he's from down in Melbourne, and he's you know uh, he's a professor. And I went along to, I actually snuck into her conference down in Melbourne at the start of the year and um, I got to meet him. And, you know, one of the key things he talks about when it's, when it's, when you're teaching kids in a classroom is, you know, 99 out of 100 things, you can make a change in a kid's learning, all right? Resources, if they've got a, you know, an iPad, if they've got pencils, if they've got that. But one of the key things was, was, it's all about feedback. So if you can give them the feedback and the right feedback at the right amount, right time, that's what helps the kids learn. And then, and then the other part to it was is the feedback that you give them. Have they actually understood what you've said? So I could tell you, Jack, I want you to lift your knees up, okay, to horizontal. And then, and I think I've done my job because I've told you that, but. Really, your 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 perception of horizontal might be here in your mind, but when you go to do it, your your knees are only coming to here. So there's a there's a gap there in, in what's what your what your perception is and what your body can do, and that and that's the hard the hard part for the coach is to be able to realize that and then be able to come in with different cues for you and to give you more feedback and better feedback, and it's not just then bring them up to 90 degrees. For me, the feedback might be is to uh, exaggerate the the feedback. So bring your knees up to your chest and that might be the cue that you you need and it might your knees might only come up to horizontally, but that might be what you what needs to work for you. So finding those those you know simple cues and you know things that can get a response that you're after. The, the technical side of thing. And moving over to jumping, what are your sort of your favorite, I guess, ways of programming jumping? Is it does it happen at the start of the session after a warm-up? Is it after running sessions? Talk us through where, where jumping comes into your program and also some of your favorite drills to to do for athletes who want to improve their explosive pain. Yeah, look, I like to have it at the start of the session. You know, if I had a I remember being at Port Adelaide back in 09, 10, and that was a, you know, the Ruckmans, the the Ruckmans wanted to get jump higher. The uh, the the key, some of the key key backmen, what they wanted to jump higher. And that was that for me. That was that was at the start of the the strength sessions. And we go out into the court and we do some other jumping drills. Just you know, whether it was vertical jump drills, you know, single leg takeoffs, double leg takeoffs, all that sort of stuff. You know, weighted vests, etc. So I'd, I always like to do it at the start before the lifting. I mean, and I know that, you know, there's many different ways of skinning a cat and there could be different times where 
you might get them to squat and then go do the the jumping and you know get a you know potentiation effect etc but I, I suppose for me i've always tried to work on 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 the skill itself of jumping and then but the sorts of things like the potentiation once i know that they're at their limit or close to their limit or their ceiling then yeah then i like to add in those sorts of those sorts of tools uh-huh. um, so what about for for those that want to improve you mentioned the vertical jump for the key position players. Would when you're at Port Adelaide, did you do jumping or plyometrics with smaller like speed forwards, midfielders, or did you more focus on acceleration agility? No, no, we did the same actually. We we used to go. It was actually in the I suppose the first my first season down there. You know, I was I was new to AFL. You know, like I, I was a rugby league. I played. You know, I, I was entrenched in rugby league up here. And got a great opportunity to go down down there and work in AFL, which was great because you know expanded my horizons um, greatly. And then I got the opportunity, probably the second season, to really branch out and work on you know what I thought we could have a have a better effect. Unfortunately, we had a sh- crappier season the second season, but there was a lot of different things that came into that. But in the pre season, we used to do we used to basically go into the we at the time we had. In the pre-season, we had some split days. We had lower body days. And on the lower body split days, we, we'd actually start out on the track and we, we might do heavy sled work. We might do hurdle hops. We, we did, we'd start teaching them plyometrics and those sorts of things. And then we'd head into the gym and do our heavy lifting stuff. And that was, you know, like what it's like with the footy team. You've got so many players. We were probably, back then, we were probably under-resourced. We had two, there was me and the head had had better performance and so you know that's how it worked because we didn't have the numbers in at the time to be able to go okay we're going to go in the gym then back out on the track back in the gym and then the next group comes in sort of thing so that's just sort of the way it worked for us at the time but yeah look that i definitely tried to do that with with the players and that those sort of things did vary for the the different positions as well and with uh strength and power training your traditional strength and power training with external load have you or do you take into account any sort of negative adaptations for those that want to improve speed like is there do you, do you focus more on the explosive running based work if if they're you know have got good body mass and they've got a good level of strength do you sort of strip the volume back in the weights room or do you still feel like you need to keep up a good exposure to, to strength power training for those athletes that are that are strong I definitely think the strength and power side of things still have to be the traditional strength power stuff needs to be, you know, fully loaded and you know heavy, etc. But the volume of work can definitely decrease. So you know, if I if I think the the athletes at a, a maximum you know body mass that they need to be at, I definitely won't be pushing you know in the preseason reps of eights or tens or trying to get them strong again, bigger and looking for hypertrophy hypertrophy effect. I'm definitely going to keep them, you know, sixes, fives, fours, threes, probably even probably at the lower range there, fours and threes, and just lifting heavy, but the volume stripped back out of it. For me, anyway, look, obviously, yeah. people have got different ways of doing things, but you know, that's probably a bit more way I'd, I'd look at it. Yeah. And what would be your favourite sort of compound lifts? Uh, oh, I, I suppose you just can't go past, you know, the, the you know, traditional, you know, if, you can, if you've got the time and the, opportunity to teach you know cleans you can't teach cleans clean pulls yeah if your squats are great 
six step ups are great. You know, I always always like to do deadlifts. You know, you're going to go to the trap bar deadlifts these days, especially you know now that you've got them. You know, we didn't even have them back in the day. I feel feel old now, but you know that that those sorts of things. Any any sort of you know high force is just going to make a, a a huge impact, and you, you you just can't can't ignore that these days. That you know, and, and that it's so. Yeah, if you've got one one group that's going to be lifting, you know, you got a whole lot Melbourne Football Club that lifts heavy, and then you go play a, another footy club that's not going to lift heavy. I dare say the footy club that lifts heavy is going to win out, as long as they're doing the same amount of conditioning. You know, as long as they're not so big that their conditioning has a has a a, a negative effect. So if you, it's got it's a, such a juggle there with your your footballers, and you know that's why there's so many. SNC's working in the industry these days. You've got to be right on it, right on your game, and every player that's going to be on your list, and yeah, you know, 30, 30, 35 players that can run around for a AFL first team in a year. You need to be right on the money there. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, we've covered a fair amount of detail around sprinting, acceleration, change of direction, obviously jumping, and then strength training. Is there anything? Before we start to wrap it up, Andrew, that you'd like to touch on that we haven't discussed so far on the topic of athlete development? No, not really. I suppose the one thing I would like to th- say thanks to is that probably my, if I kill it, Ken, is you, you asked me about, you know, my some of the influences that I've ever had on me over the years. But, you know, like I think the, the greatest thing about the industry of strength conditioning is you're just learning off your peers all the time. So I like to thank them, you know, like, yeah, there's people. I've got a list of people I could say thank you to that you know could, that have had such an influence on me over the years working here at the QA at the QAS when I was here working at the track working at Broncos. You know, just not just the strength edition coaches, but coaches as well. They they've made you know such a big influence on how you you how I've been molded over the years. That you know they're probably the ones that go unnoticed but they're the ones that you know also play such a role in you know how how we all get shaped and how we get shaped as a strength edition coach and as a person so they're 100%. and yeah. you mentioned as well like getting different experiences like moving from rugby to, to afl for snc's that perhaps have have just worked in one sport how did that come about that opportunity to work to cross codes and in hindsight was it a good thing for your career was it not a good thing like talk us through that Look, it was a, a amazing thing for me to work at different sports. You know, the only, thing, the only reason I moved back to Brisbane from Port Adelaide was the weather. It wasn't the footy club. It wasn't football. It wasn't AFL. It was just I, I, born and bred in Queensland. I love the the winter up here. It's beautiful. So that it's that that uh, working in the AFL was just such a big eye opener. You know, full time, and we didn't have a a big budget at the time but yeah you really worked hard for everything you did and you're trying to you know you're, you're probably back then it was a bit of a Port Adelaide thing you're a bit of an underdog so you're, you're doing everything you can to try and win and that was sort of born and bred in, within the club there so you, you had to do that so that was you, you just worked hard at not just the details but about trying to get better as you, yourself to be the better S and C, and then working across all the footy footy codes, working at a rugby league, rugby union, you know, oh, football, diving, hockey. Oh, that yeah, I I couldn't couldn't recommend it more for a young up and coming street edition coach to get a such a 
a wide array of um, different sports to work with. It really just opens your eyes up to some of the different issues you have, the injuries that you have, etc. So I, I, I definitely wouldn't look back about the, working with all those different sports. So, Maiden, moving on to the sort of personal side, have you got uh, pet peeves, anything that fires you up about the industry? Oh, pet peeves. Well, I, I suppose for me, I, I just like to see things done really well. And, you know, if you get, if we're going to put a video up or we're going to put start talking about, you know, drills or plyometrics or those sorts of things, I want to see it done well and make and have a real good, strong knowledge in and that's, but you know, other than that, that you know, I don't really have a pet peeve about the industry or anything like that. I, it's such a great, great, you know, well, you work in strength conditioning, it's you know, stay in paradise, really. Yeah, what else can you do? You, you love what you're doing. Oh, I don't, I don't think I do a job that I don't like, you know, that's the hard part. You know, if I, if someone told me I was going to work in an office in sports administration, that I'd be pulling my hair out. So, working in strength conditioning and athletics and and consulting in those all those areas is you know that's a you get up from get out get out of bed you know ready to go. Well, what about a favorite way to spend a day off? I'm probably going to say this because my wife won't hear this because she probably won't listen to me. But a day at the track. But other than that, like running, a day at the beach. Yeah, you know, go for get up, have a coffee, go for a run, go to the beach, go home. It's usually what we do on our holidays. Actually, is you know we have a week away. Usually, we used to go away the week before Christmas. We get up, go for a run, have a coffee, go for a swim, have a nap watch some EPL football replays and go for a walk on the beach. That's a that's a great day. That is a good day. And we're recording this live in late September 2023. What's on the horizon for the rest of the year, mate? What are you excited about? I'm excited about 2024, to tell the truth. Paris 2024. So I am, I am going away for a big trip to Europe with the family in uh, December. My daughter finishes year 12, so... We've got a big family trip to Europe, going skiing. So I'm looking forward to that. And then the next year, Paris 2024. So, yeah, look, looking forward to see if I can get a couple of athletes on a team, on that team, and then on a world junior team as well next year. So that'd be great. Yeah. So run us through your current role with the consultancy work. Is that athletes reaching out to you? Or are you working with organizations? Yeah. I've got, I've, I've got, yeah, it's a funny one with athletics. So the athletes sort of reach out to you. It's sort of handover from some of Gary's athletes at the moment, and so I've got a got a couple of them. I've got a couple of younger kids that might make a world junior team next year. So yeah, that they're all you know it's going to be could be an ex- real exciting year next year. Fingers crossed. We 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 everybody we hit our, hit all our targets, and no one no one gets a black cat to walk in front of them or anything like that. No, no doubt perform well. They're lucky to have you, and 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 we're lucky to have you for the last hour, Andrew. Really appreciate your time and sharing with us not only your experiences, but also uh, your knowledge and and those that you've worked with along the way, and specifically some practical takeaways for both athletes and coaches on jumping, sprinting, and and lifting. Uh, for those that have follow up questions, where's the best place to get in contact, mate? Probably emails the best, Andrewlallam at gmail That's probably the best way. I am on it. I am on LinkedIn and Instagram and stuff, but yeah, probably probably email. I'm happy to answer anything. That'd be great. Yep. I'll add the links into the show notes for those that might be driving, listening to the recording. Thank you for everyone that's tuned in live. Thank you, Aaron, for your question. And our next live interview is with James Hanish. That'll be 3 p.m. Australia's Standard Time, Thursday, the 5th of October. So I look forward to seeing you guys then. 
If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content, such as a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian from the Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I yep. often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game changes, yeah, game changes, whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes. And, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with Academy member Rama Davies, the strength conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome Rama to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So. I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And yeah, thanks, um, thanks, Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful. Plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my my question to you was: you spoke a, a, quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat, um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or um, do physically that um, you wish you either knew or did um, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it yeah it certainly yeah has been massive for me now and, and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts, doing a, a journal every day just a bit to say what I'm grateful for, sort of three things. And um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life than football or, you know, might be whatever as an S&C coach, you know, if something's you're having a hard time, um, it can be massive with just yeah opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that in that work bubble. Um, yeah. So that's that's been huge. Um, I think I wish back then when I was younger I asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things. Mm -hmm. I think I was a bit single minded back then and um, you know I thought there was one way of doing things and um, if I kind of didn't have that fear of, you know, asking a silly question or fear of judgment. It would have got me a lot further and I probably would have learned a lot quicker. Um, 
and, yeah. and yeah, like just yeah, being open to sort of different things because um, you never know what you might find. It's just yeah, there's so many people, like great people out there, knowledgeable people to learn off. And there's plenty more where that came from. If you would like to learn more, then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes. Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review, or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.